Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58 and verses 16, pardon me, 6 to 14. Isaiah 58, 6 to 14. Isaiah chapter 58, starting at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to Luke chapter 6. If you don't, just uh, hang on. I will read you the story, and then uh, we will try and make some sense out of it. Luke chapter 6, one of Jesus' confrontations with people. Uh, Jesus has the audacity to stick his nose into our lives sometime, and this is one of those audacious stick-it-in-your-stick-your-nose-in-something situations here. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read the first 11 verses there. Bible says, Luke writes, that one Sabbath was Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. So, some of the Pharisees asked, what, why are you doing what is unlawful, it's illegal, it's not right, on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did When he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priest to eat and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue, into church, and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another to might, what they might do to Jesus. Do you ever think about some of the words that we use, like the word, what day is today? Sunday. What does that mean? What's that word mean? Monday. Tuesday. What do those words mean? Have you ever thought about that? We, we just use them all the time. But for some reason, the Romans way back when, or the Greeks actually, way back when in their wisdom, decided that they would name the days of the week after the various planets. So we have Sunday, named after the sun. We have Monday, which is named after the moon. We have Tuesday, which is named after Mars, and so on. Jupiter, Saturn, and, and what the Romans did was they took some of those days of the week and they substituted the names of their gods for some of the days of the week. And then we, for many of us, were from a, a European-Germanic type of descent. And so what we did was we took the days of the week and, and they named them after the gods of Norse mythology, of all things. And so you have... Tuesday, which is from uh, the Norse god goddess Tyr, or also the planet Mars. Wednesday, which is named after Woden, who was the head of the Norse mythological pantheon. Thursday is named after, after Thor, the god of thunder. I have a story about that. This is a trip around the barn. I love having ADHD. You get all these wonderful ideas. But, but you know, you heard the story about Thor, he rode this flying horse, uh, you know, in, in Norse mythology. So the story goes like this. The thunder god rode off to war astride his flying filly. I'm Thor, he cried. The horse replied, you forgot your thaddle, filly. <laughs> Absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, but it's just... So, all right, where were we? Thursday. <laughs> Friday is named after uh, Frigi or Venus, and then Saturday sticks with Saturn. Like, what were we thinking? You know? Sunday, named after the sun. Why do we go to church on Sunday? Like, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, the Hebrews, at least the Israelis, they got it right. You know, they got day one through six. You know, Monday, Sunday's day one, Monday's day two, so on. You get to day six, and then day seven is Shabbat, Sabbath. Very easy. Day one, day two, day three. What day is it? It's day three. But anyway, let's get into the story. What, and so we're on the Sabbath here. Let's, let's figure out what's going on here. Let me give you a little bit of history lesson here. Way back in history, in the history of the Jewish people, God took and, and brought in a group of people called, first of all, the Assyrians, 
Uh, and they were the people who came who had Nineveh as their capital. Remember the story of Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. And, and those people were from what is now northeastern uh, Iraq and, and Turkey, from that area there. Okay, their capital was Nineveh. God brought them in because his people Israel were disobeying the laws that God had made. God had the audacity to step into Israel's life and say, here's the law, here are the laws that you are to live by. And they violated those laws over and over and over again, not just, not just the fact that they worshipped idols, but there were, were other things. And, and part of that was the way they looked after the land and the way they looked after the poor. They didn't do any of those things. And so God said, listen, there is going to be some consequences. And so the Assyrians came in, were the first ones, and gave them a royal spanking. And then later on, the Babylonians came. And this was about... Uh, about, about 700 B.C. or so, and, and the people went into exile. The, the Babylonians came in, took most of the people of Israel, brought them over to Babylon, brought in some imports from other places, and that exile lasted for 70 years, and finally God allowed them to go back, and they learned their lesson. They never again had, a trou- they never again had trouble with idolatry. They learned their lesson. And so... During those 400 years that that happened between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, there were some 400 years where we don't have a lot of Bible writing, but a group of people rose up called the Pharisees. Now, they were a conservative, evangelical, revivalist movement. They said, listen, we have to go back to obeying the Bible. Because that's what got us into trouble in the first place. We have to go back to obeying the Bible. And so what they did was they, they studied the Bible. Their goals were really good. They studied the Bible, and they made up rules. And they said, well, what this means is so-and-so, and what this means is so-and-so, and, and you're allowed to do this, and you're not allowed to do that. And, and they created all these rules around the Bible. For instance, when, uh, and I've told you this story, when I was in Israel in, in back in the 90s, I ran into something called the Sabbath elevator in the hotels. Okay? It's, it is wrong, for instance, in Israel, to, or it was always wrong to do work on the Sabbath. So stepping into the elevator and pushing a button is work. So not allowed to do that. But there are Sabbath elevators, and the Sabbath elevators go up, stop at every floor, and go down and stop at every floor. And while it is work to step into the elevator and push the button, it's not wrong to step into the elevator and let it carry you down to the floor below you. Go figure. But those are the rules. They came up with rules. Now, the reality is they got it all wrong. And Jesus stuck his nose into their business and said to them, you got it wrong. And it thoroughly antagonized them. They had the right initial motives, but in their zeal they went down the wrong path. They were seriously religious. They were the seriously religious, and the end result was that they were simply serious and religious, but truly unspiritual. They were totally wrong, 
and missed out in their relationship with God. And Jesus' harshest words and greatest condemnation were resolved for those who were the most seriously religious. Now, as human beings, we like rules. We like checklists, you know. We, we, when, when a pilot gets into an airplane, he has a checklist, and, and depending on how complex or how simple the airplane is, uh, he, you know, it, it's a fairly simple, you know, one of the checklists we used to use was a little word called cigar, and it started out with controls, instrument, gas, uh, altimeter, and, and, a vari- and radios. And, and, but the more complex the airplane, when you get, if you go to Saskatoon or Regina or Vancouver, you get into an airplane, the pilots are going through checklists. We like those because we can check something off and we can say, okay, that's done. Uh, and we need to do that for safety's sake in an airplane. But we make checklists sometime, even in our Christian faith. And what happens is you go through this checklist. Okay, I, I didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't do this. I did this, this, and this, and this. Okay, checklist is done. Good. Everybody's happy. God is happy with me. We like checklists. They, they really simplify things, but they don't always work when it comes to our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, and, and we don't have a checklist. What does it mean to love the Lord my God with all my heart? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, and so, you know, like, uh, could I just have a checklist, Lord? It says, you know, go to church on Sundays, give, give part of your income, uh, do this, do that. Okay, done. Then, then uh, and God says, no, you figure it out. And that makes us uncomfortable. But it's good for us. Gives us something to think about. So, here's Jesus. His disciples walking through a grain field. The guys grab some, some heads of grain they rub out the kernels, they start eating them, and the Pharisees go, <gasps> That's wrong, because they had a rule about that. You weren't allowed to do that kind of stuff. And so there's this confrontation with Jesus. And Jesus defied their authority. He robbed them of their power and stature, and for them it was all about them. They were furious with him. There was this guy who had this shriveled right hand, and Jesus said, stand here. Stand in front of everybody. And the guy standing there kind of like, uh, what do I do now? Uh, and Jesus said, is it, is it right or wrong to do good on the Sabbath? And they were waiting to see what he was going to do, and he did exactly what they expected him to do. He healed that man. So let's talk about the issue a little bit. When God created the Sabbath... Okay, when God started, it starts way back. It wasn't just a law that God made. Somewhere along the line, God thought to himself, well, how can I bug people? I said, oh, I'm going to make them go to church on, on the Sabbath. So it starts way before that. Anson, if you would fire up there, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Did I put that in there? Yep, starts way back in creation. So God established a principle back here. And the principle is this, that by, on the seventh day, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested. Okay, fine. So, but here's the principle, so God blessed the seventh day. Okay, there's something special. God took one day of the week and said, you know what, I'm going to bless it, I'm going to make it special. He made it special and he made it holy because on it he rested 
from all the work of creating that he had done. So then God takes that principle and puts it into the law in Exodus chapter 20, where he says these words, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all, the work, all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's not a Sabbath for you necessarily, but it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. The next verse, please, Anson. For in six days, here's the principle, and this is timeless. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, the Sabbath was also part of the covenant conditions that God imposed on Israel. God said to Israel, I'm going to make you special, and one of the special things about you is that you're going to have a Sabbath. One day out of seven, that's, that's part of the sign of my covenant that you have to live with that. And the principle extended beyond one day of the week. There was also the Sabbath year. God said every seven years the land is supposed to rest. Uh, that didn't happen in, in the days of Israel. Uh, and it's really not happening a lot today. And God said in those 70 years that Israel was out of the land, God says the land is going to have the rest that you never gave it. The Israelites had mismanaged the land. Every 50 years was the year of Jubilee. It was the year of canceling debts. It was the year of setting slaves free. Israel ignored that because economically it didn't make sense. Why should I let my land rest one year out of seven? I could be growing another crop here. And really interesting what kind of ramifications that has for today. And I really don't want to go there. But the principle remains the same. There's one day of rest in seven. God blessed the Sabbath and God made it holy. Now, sometimes we do some strange things. Sometimes, um, and, and here's, let me just explain this to you and then try and pull it together. Sometimes we translate, English is, is a language that comes from many other languages. Sometimes we translate words and sometimes we transliterate words. What happens is that, that, you know, sometimes we don't like to translate word, like the word baptism. Okay, the word baptism is not an English word. It comes from the Greek. The word means to dip. If we were to translate it, it would say, I would say, not I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I dip you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we chose not to translate it because it was embarrassing. You see, my background, too, I was a baby. And, and, my, and in, in my own language, I, I don't know how they put this together, but our pastor said, I, in my language, he said dip. And, and as he said dip, he sprinkled water on me. I dip you, you know? Uh, it doesn't make sense. Some words we don't, we don't translate because they sound better. The word pastor, uh, we don't like to translate that word, but it means shepherd. If you call me a farmer, it'd be a whole lot less, less dignified than calling me a pastor, right? Uh, I mean, like, like, you know, we don't... And same with the word Sabbath. I mean, we, we like that word Sabbath or Shabbat as it is in, in Hebrew, but the word simply means rest. So if you were to translate that, you would have day one, two, three, four, five, six, rest. Well, what part of that don't you understand? You know, it, it makes it that much simpler. Therefore, the Lord blessed the rest day and made it holy, but we like the word 
Sabbath. And so Jesus goes on this explanation to the Pharisees. And he says to them, if you have your Bibles, take a look there back in Luke 6. Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? What happened was David was on a special mission. He had a bunch of guys with him. They went to where the tabernacle was, which was God's holy place, God's tent. And in that tabernacle, there were loaves that were set out, 12 loaves of bread, and they were like, like flat loaves, flat bread, not, not the nice square ones that you and I have here today. But 12 loaves of bread that were stacked up there on this, on this table, and they would stay there for a week, and they would be replaced every week. And those loaves were only to be eaten by the priests. While well, David was under duress, he needed food, and he went to the high priest and said, I want to eat that. And, 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 and the high priest said, you know, you, you can't, you're not allowed to. And David said, look, I'm on a mission for the Lord. And then it was okay. And what Jesus is saying here, sometimes, sometimes situations supersede the rules. I mean, sometimes you and I have to work on the Sabbath. Sometimes stuff needs to happen. I worked shift work, lots. I know what it's like to work seven days a week. I know what it's like to work 24 hours a day. Didn't really like it. I worked on Christmas Day. I worked on Boxing Day. I worked on Easter Sunday. I worked all those things when I used to work in mines and in sawmills and, uh, and different places like that. But Jesus said, Sometimes extraordinary circumstances supersede the rules. And then he also goes on to explain, and he does this uh, in Mark, the same story. Jesus said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, and it's the wrong concept of God that we have to, that, that God made the Sabbath just to plague us, but the Sabbath was made for man. And the other thing what Jesus said was, hey, he said, I'm the one who made the Sabbath, therefore I get to say what happens on the Sabbath. I rule the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and what he says supersedes the rules that the Pharisees and other people have made. So, let's pull this together here. Somehow or another, day seven got transferred to day one. Uh, people say, well, now Sunday is the Sabbath. It's not. It's never got changed. And if you want to have the Sabbath, it's always on day seven. Saturday. Okay, Sabbath the Sabbath is on Saturday. The Sabbath and Sunday are not synonymous. Sunday is not the, the, the New Testament Sabbath. The law never got changed. Nowhere along the line did the law ever get changed. Shabbat will always be on the seventh day. Sunday became known as the Lord's Day because that's the day of the week he rose from the dead and the early Christians met on Sunday to commemorate his resurrection. Now, Shabbat... The Sabbath was part of that first covenant that God made with Israel. But look at what Hebrews chapter 8 says. Okay? Hebrews chapter 8 says, If there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, and we say every time we have communion, and that will happen here next week, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. By calling this covenant new, which is the covenant you and I celebrate, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete, obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So, 
while the law hasn't been changed or abolished, Jesus fulfilled it. Romans chapter 10 verse 4 says that Jesus is the end or the fulfillment of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes we are not under law. Galatians chapter, or Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 says that sin shall not be your master. You are not under law. We're not under law. We're not under Old Testament law. We're under grace. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything in the book of the law. And then verse 25 of that same chapter says these words, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So the law no longer rules us. Shabbat is part of that old covenant. But the principles remain the same. We gather on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day, but the principles remain the same. There is one day of rest in seven. Those principles will never change. God made you and I to have one day of rest in seven. God blessed the Sabbath gate. God blessed that one special day. It says, in six days God made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. God blessed that day and made it holy. And so in Isaiah chapter 58, we read these words, the passage that Ken read for us earlier. And that while we're not talking about Shabbat, while we're not talking about the law, but the principles remain. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day. You see, it's not about me. You can't do as you please. If God blessed one day and made it holy, you can't do as you please. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. When you honor God, he honors you. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the bottom line is this. Sundays belong to Jesus. It's not your day. It's his day. In the Old Testament, the Sabbaths were a day of sacred assembly, and going to church is a good day. But think about this. The Lord's day is the Lord's day is the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. If it's his day and he is Lord, then he has the right to tell you what to do. I know stuff needs to happen on Sunday. I work on Sundays. Other people do too. Sometimes things just need to happen. But it's not your day to choose as you, to do as you please. It's the Lord's day. It's his day. And when you honor God, he honors you. It's good for you. Years ago, many of you know that I went to Bible school to become a missionary pilot. And I had earned my private pilot license way back when I was in my late teens. And later on, when, when our daughter Sandy was a little girl, um, I took three weeks off work, I took my holidays, and I'd worked ahead a week. And I took three weeks off work, and I went to Prince George, and Kathy and I rented a cabin in a motel, and I 
I did my commercial pilot license in three weeks. And I thought, you know what? I don't have the time to take Sundays off. And so I was doing three or four lessons a day. Plus ground school, plus everything else, seven days a week, and I was going under. I was at a point in life where I could not. The stuff that was happening in front of me on the instrument panel of that airplane was not making sense. I couldn't get my head around it. And I was bone tired. That was part of the reasons, because I would fly until late at night, because I had to fly in the dark as well. And God convicted me of this one day in seven business. And I said to Kathy, we need to go to church. We need to take a day of rest. That's, God says it. We need to take a day of rest. And so I took a day off. A day that I couldn't afford to take off. And we drove the 60 miles to where my mom and dad lived and we spent the day, we went to church, we spent the day with my parents. I got a day of rest. I needed it. And I went back the next day and everything made sense. You see, my mind needed a chance to work. God made me to take one day off in seven. You violate that. You can violate it for a while. Israel violated God's commands for hundreds of years about looking after the land, about their own Sabbaths and everything else. And God said, finally, that's enough. You're going to pay the price. And you and I pay the price to our own detriment. We Sometimes we violate God's commands and we get away with it. But sooner or later, it'll bite us. If Jesus is Lord, then he has the right to tell you what to do. It's not your day, not yours to do as you please. So the principles still hold. Take the time to rest. Resting isn't wrong. It's biblical. It's necessary. And the day is designed to be a delight, not a burden. And I pray that you find it so. Only you can examine your own life. Now, some of you don't need to worry about that, but the rest of us do. We have to go to work. God set a principle. He put that principle in place for our own good. And that principle is one day in seven is mine. It's your rest day, but it's also mine to worship, not to do as you please. It's the Lord's day. If it is his day, he has the right to tell us what to do. So, let's say you've got a Sunday. You say, I don't feel like going to church today. Well, you know, or I feel like doing this, or I'm going to do that. I'll tell you what, look inside your own heart and then my challenge to you is, is put it before the Lord and say, Lord, this is your day. What would you have me do with it? It's not a burdensome thing. You see, the, the principle of one day in, of rest in seven is not a burden, it's a blessing that God designed for us. Now, you decide what you want to do with it before the Lord, but it's His day. And if it's His day, He has the right to tell us how to spend it. Go to church, go fishing, you can do whatever. It's His day. But you ask Him how He wants you to spend that particular day, how you can honor Him. And then if you honor Him, He will always honor you. God's day is not a burden, it's a blessing. You know what? We're just going to pray. 
and then we'll be dismissed. Father, in your thoughtfulness, in your thoughtfulness, you created us to have one day of rest in seven. And Lord, many of us have violated that for a long time, and we've gotten away with it. But the reality is that that day belongs to you. And it's not a burden, it's a delight. It's not your way of sticking your nose in our business and pulling us up short, but it's your way of blessing us. And Lord, help us not to rebel against your blessing. Help us to see that what you designed for us is good, that we can trust you, that ultimately you know what is best. And Lord, sometimes uh, we, we, we rebel against that because we think, who are you to tell us what to do? And yet, Lord, you do know best. And so we submit to that. Thank you for your patience in dealing with us. Lord, grant us wisdom and discernment as we seek to honor you with the things that you tell us to do. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Lord, help us to go with your blessing today and to enjoy this day, the Lord's day, that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.